struggling with whatever this is, allergies. And then Great I Am, we sang that one. So I've yelled back there. I have no voice now. <clears throat> so it's going to be interesting what comes out in the next hour or so. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Bree just read that uh, to us. But we're going to continue our series uh, this morning. As you're turning there, let me just say Happy Memorial Day to you. And if, especially if, if you served in our military, you know someone to have, especially those um, around the world and throughout history that's given their life for our country. We just want to express our gratitude for that this weekend, and I pray that we do see that, uh, this country that we live in, the freedoms that we do have has come at a cost, um, and I don't even like this uh, rhetoric that we t- typically have, that America's the greatest country on earth, and I believe that in many ways. <laughs> I love America. I'm not, like, not a patriotic person, uh, but man, God loves all nations uh, of this earth equally, and the freedom that we have in America, what makes America so beautiful, so great, what we celebrate this weekend is so that what if all the blessings that we have here in the States, just so that all nations might know how good our God is. And so we celebrate our freedom, not just for the sake of our freedom, uh, but we, say, we thank God to be American so that we can leverage the opportunities he's given us for the glory of his name around the world. But we do. I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful for our troops and I'm thankful for those who have given their lives for it. So as we uh, celebrate tomorrow, uh, let's remember that uh, as we do, okay? So uh, Colossians chapter 3, we're walking through and we're trying to understand Paul is laying out for us what it means to have lived or living the risen life. So if you come under uh, the Lordship of Jesus, if your eyes become open to who he is, that he's everything. And that's why we've entitled um, our series that we've been through the last couple of months, The Glories of Christ. We've been gazing at Jesus. Paul's showing us, look how good Jesus is. And when you come to know Jesus by turning from your sin and yourself and you trust in Jesus and what Jesus has done by faith, everything changes. So to know Jesus and to experience his grace is not just about a destination one day when we die, although we, like we've said all throughout the series, that is right and good. Like one day we get to be with Jesus in heaven, right? Amen? We don't want to go to the place that the scriptures describe to us as hell. We want to avoid that place at all costs and eternity is much more significant than the blip on the radar that is our lives. However, the gospel changes our lives today. It changes perspectives that we view everyday life. So to talk about spiritual things, to talk about Jesus and the gospel, yes, is to talk about eternal things and to talk about big spiritual things, not just the temporary physical things that so often we get wrapped up in and we get so tunnel vision that we miss these ultimate issues these ultimate realities but what if coming what if those things aren't uh, opposed to one another what if understanding these big realities in our everyday lives are to be mixed and integrated there is no divide uh, at all so abraham kuyper he's a theologian from yesteryear uh, said it like this there is not one inch in the whole universe over which Jesus who is Lord of all does not declare mine meaning if we're going to be followers of Christ and submit to Jesus it has implications for literally every sphere every detail every second of our lives the lordship of Christ that we're submitting to him he owns it all he doesn't just own Sunday And he doesn't just own the times that we pray or we read our Bibles. He owns 
every part, every fiber of who we are, everything that makes us up as a soul and as a, and who, what makes you you. He owns that because he created you and that he's bought you if you belong to Christ. So you're doubly his. And what it means to submit to Jesus in every area of life. So the scriptures are not distant from where we live. So often we think following Jesus just seems so archaic and dusty. A lot of my uh, unbeliever friends, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ, and you would say, man, I just, the Bible, when I read it, just seems so outdated. Why would I read a letter from thousands of years ago and about a culture that isn't my own? It doesn't seem very relevant for me today. And, and first, just understand, Scripture is showing you who He is. Not just answering all the questions you have about your life. He's, scriptures are revealing to us who God is. And then we understand who he, what he does. We understand who we are and what we are now to do. The scriptures are less about us and they're more about God. But when you start to begin to see God, then we understand ourselves and what our lives are to look like. And scripture does uh, approach, especially the letters we've been reading, uh, especially Colossians here, the last few weeks when we've been diving in deep into chapter 3. He's looking at saying, if you have been raised with Christ, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you see sin. It changes the way you interact in a community with other people. It changes, like we saw last week, the way you see marriage. But today, we're looking at it changes the way that you see your work. Now listen, I'm looking out at a bunch of people, and most of us, and not all of us, are spending the majority of our lives working a job. Anybody with me? You guys doing that? You're working a job. And before that, maybe you're still here and you're in school, and you spend the majority of your life, before you start doing that, preparing to work a job you're checking with me like school is just preparing to get a job and then you get a job and you're working that is so relevant uh, for our, our lives but i don't know maybe once we went through proverbs but we don't talk about this very often in the church and i think that's a big disservice of the church today especially here in the west is i don't know that we have a category for what my faith in christ has to do with the way i see my job so the way we spend <laughs> All of our time, we don't understand how faith in Christ speaks to that. And so we think that we've got to really get serious about Jesus, and we come like those weird Christians that are trying to figure out how to be that Christian or evangelist in the workplace, and we're afraid of how to do that. We don't know how those things uh, work. Like, what does it look like? And the result is, here's, I think this is the result of so much of what's happening down deep in our souls, is so many of us are bored and maybe even feeling deep senses of like inadequacy or you know what if i really was serious about jesus then i wouldn't be spending all my time being fill in the blank of whatever it is that you do with your life it just seems so devoid like what derek what you get to do like read the bible and like pastor people and shepherd the church like that really matters but what i'm doing doesn't seem insignificant at all and i want my life to count for the glory of god among all nations i want to make disciples but there's a time thing here, like I'm, I work a job, and like, how does that work? And, and I'm in a position where I can't just freely talk about my faith necessarily, and how does that work? And is, are all of those moments of doing what we do and doing them well, are they wasted? Like if we really were serious, man, we'd all quit our jobs today and go just like share our faith every day. Is that really what God would have us do? And the answer to some of that might be maybe to some of us. Maybe you need to quit your job. And God's stirring in you right now for something different, a vocation, a vocational ministry, to be a pastor, a church planner, a missionary, in the traditional sense of the word, or to start a nonprofit, or do something kind of out of the ordinary. And we always want to have our guests on the table. Like, God, are you calling me to step out in faith and to do something? But what if 
Being serious about Jesus doesn't mean that we leave our jobs. What if the way God's wired you with the passions, the abilities, the desires, the the vocational skills that you have, what if he's given you those, he's given you that calling on your life, not just for yourself and not just to make a paycheck, but for something much, much bigger. What's happening when we work? So at the end, we're going to talk about how we leverage our work for the mission. But before we even get there, and I think we'll even see uh, implications of this in Colossians 3, before we get there, we're going to talk about that. Leverage our lives and the mission. There's a piece of that. But I think we've got to go back even further and say, We've got to understand, what does God's word have to say about work in general? Like, yeah, my job, like I work here and I should see those people, share the gospel with them, build relationships with them. Like, absolutely, we're going to get there. So our college on the table, that's where we're headed. But I think there's something even um, more holistic. I'm not saying better, because that's ultimate. <laughs> that's ultimate. But something much more holistic of a way to understand work, to see our jobs, to see our careers, our vocations, even if you're... Uh, a stay-at-home mom. I don't even mean to say that as a passing thing. Like, you are working full-time. Amen? Probably harder than your husband. So, um, whatever it is that you do with your life, what if that matters? Okay, so let's look at it in uh, Colossians chapter 3. And so, you know me. I'm not just going to stay in Colossians 3. We're going to use Colossians 3 as a launching pad, and we're going to go back and grab some stuff in Genesis that even we looked at last week as we talked about marriage. But what I want us to see, and what, one thing I love about preaching through the Bible is to preach through books in such a way to, as it comes, we're going to deal with the topics as they come, but also to see how this, in Colossians 3, fits into the story of God. So Paul is writing and talking to people about how they should operate in their everyday locations, He's writing under the bigger umbrella. That's not the only place that God talks about work. There, it's the story of Scripture. He's hardwired it into creation. So what I want us to do is, using Colossians as a jumping pad, um, to kind of look back into Genesis and really the story of Scripture to see the gospel, through see, the, see our work, rather, through the lens of the gospel. We talk about the gospel all the time. The gospel changes everything. What I want to help us to do as we preach through the Bible is to see how. So we say the gospel changes everything. It changes my work. But what does that mean? <laughs> like, how do I do it? And so that's what I want us to look at today. So there's three points. I don't know if we'll get, you know, what, I don't know if that means anything to you. There's just three. There's usually like ten. So that's the good news, right? Okay. First, God has designed work as God-centered worship. It's fundamental reality. So we've got to think through the lens of the gospel. We've got to understand work in the context of the way God sees it, the way he's hardwired. How do we do that? We see that he's created work. He, it's his idea. He gave it to us. And he has a purpose. God-centered worship. So let's look at three passages. Colossians 3. We're going to skip all around in Colossians 3. We're not going to walk through. Uh, logically, we're just going to grab some ideas. And you'll see how it connects, hopefully, uh, at the end of this. Colossians 3.22 says, Bondservants, or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. We'll come back to that here in a little bit. But here's what I want us to see. How do you do that? What's it say? fearing the lord so if you don't really have much church background that doesn't mean hiding over in the corner shaking about god fearful although it could maybe mean that it means a reverential awe to see god rightly to see god as he actually is so you are to do your job in such a way and obey in everything in such a way that is in awe of god or worship (laughs) to enjoy him 
and have a right perspective of him as you are obeying your superiors. Colossians 3.23, next verse, says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Again, we're going to come back and grab some of these, so we'll, we'll come back to these, these words. But notice how you're to work heartily. As for who? The Lord, and not for men. So you're to work in such a way that you're doing it for him, unto him, as to him. It's something bigger than just whatever it is. You don't punch a clock and leave, and then you start your God time when you read your Bible. Like, you're to work unto God. Then Colossians 3.24, the last part of that, says, You are serving who? The Lord Christ. You're serving Him. Listen, this is not that verse. He's not writing to pastors. <laughs> so I think you can look at what I do in my life. You look at a missionary and say, Yeah, it's clear, Derek. You're serving the Lord Christ. But I'm a nurse. I'm an IT guy, I'm a doctor, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm an engineer, I'm an artist. I'm not serving the Lord Christ, I'm doing this, i got to try to find time to serve Jesus. No, no, no. Whatever you're doing, you are serving the Lord Christ. You are. It's not a line for preachers and a line for mechanics. There's one line. We're all serving Jesus here. We just do it in different roles. See that? It's woven into the fabric of creation. You're serving the Lord Christ. He's Lord, superior, he's Yahweh, but he's also our Savior. All that's that's beautiful. That's how we do it. And this idea, so there's three different examples of this short passage of Scripture where he say, hey, do your job, but do it for something bigger than your job. What if your job is a means of worship? You say, well, okay, that's Paul. All right, well, let's look back in Genesis to show you that this was woven into the original design. So remember last week we looked back at marriage and said, okay, all the stuff that we look at with gender roles and marriage and all the stuff that we can continue to kind of like push away against, we've got to see that that was God's design in the original intent. So if it's broken now, it's broken because we broke it, not because God broke it the way he designed it. Remember that? Same way with work. Like work is not a result of the fall. And all guys people said, oh, man, that's a good excuse. Like, you know, like... Like work, like, oh, it's just a necessary evil, you know, it's the sin in the world. No, no, no. Work existed before sin entered the world. So let's look at it. Genesis 2.15. Here's a phrase that's going to describe, I think, what we see here in verse 15. God designed humanity. So when he created the world, the way he intended it to look, when he looked at it and said it was what? Good. He, He did that so that we would enjoy him. That's worship, right? To enjoy Jesus and everything. How do we do that, though? How did Adam and Eve do that? They did it by being stewards of creation. So he says, the Lord God took the man after they created and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Say it with me. To work it and to keep it. So he gave Adam a job to do. And if you get really geeked out like I do and you look in the Hebrew, uh, that word work, I, I won't chase all the stuff. We'll talk later if you want to hear more. But the word work has, shares the same root word for worship. And all God's people said, that's a coincidence, right? Like, it shares the same um, root word for worship. So what if he's saying, hey, remember the whole story and later on? Remember if it's before or after this? But he looks at Adam, and, and they go, and they, God's walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? Man, isn't that awesome? I guess there's a cool image of intimacy with God, worship with God. That's easy to say, oh, that moment was worship. But what if Adam and Eve were not just to worship God in those moments? Although, yes, what if they were to worship God as they did their jobs. Worship. 
was the intention. And he says, you're going to be stewards of creation. I've given you a job to do. But then um, if we look back in Genesis 1.26, uh, here's another phrase. God designed humanity to enjoy him, that's worship, by being developers of culture. So not just stewarding what God's designed, but to develop it, to make something out of it. So cool. Look at um, chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So again, one God, but operating as a trinity here. He's Father, Son, Spirit. They created all, all things, created people, and said to, about humans, let them have dominion. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So I want you to have a lot of babies, and I want you to spread out, but I want you to create. I want you to create. So um, it's a silly example. I heard somebody say it uh, before like this. But Adam and Eve weren't just park rangers. So they weren't just given this garden and said, hey, just kind of guard it. Keep it, watch over it, although that was definitely the case. They were more like um, gardeners. They weren't just park rangers kind of watching over it. They said, hey, God said, hey, here's all this good stuff that I've made. And in some ways, he doesn't say make it better, but he does say do something with it. Like, can you really improve upon everything was good? Like, what else could they do? Like, God's given them everything. But he says, hey, take the raw materials of what I've given you and do something. Create. Work with your hands. <laughs> do something for my glory. See that? Like, it's something much, much bigger. And when you do that, you're taking creation, you're subduing it, you're doing something with it. So they're developing uh, culture. So think about this. The only difference, really, between a wilderness, like Bear Grylls-type terrain. Looking at you, Zach. Uh, that was for you. Uh, he loves Bear Grylls. It's kind of creepy. Um, we're getting idolatry in a minute, brother. I'm kidding. Um, loves, loves uh, the only difference between wilderness and a city. What is it? I mean, there's a lot, but think about it. The work. Like a, a society, a culture, and just a bare wilderness. If somebody has to say to a wilderness, I'm going to make something out of this. So we're going to clear some stuff out. We're going to build houses and buildings, and we're going to work with our hands. We're going to farm, and we're going to do this. We're going to make goods and sell them and have a society. Like the only difference between absolute chaos and wilderness and a city or a culture is People are doing their jobs. That's what he's saying here. Here's the raw materials. Do something with it. That's where we get work. It's designed. It was, this is all pre-Genesis 3. All right. So here's a few implications of what we just saw in those two passages. You ready? First is when we do our work well, we are reflecting God. So let us make man in our image. Well, God is a worker. We just saw him getting down in the dust and working with his hands and making humanity. That God's a God who works throughout history. He works for his people. That when Jesus comes onto the scene, God becomes a man. How does he spend 30 of his approximately 33 or so years? He's working as a carpenter. He didn't start his earthly ministry until the twilight years of his life before he crawls up on that cross. So what was he doing while he's doing whatever a carpenter does? I mean, obviously he's loving Jesus. He's learning the law, and he's being, he's doing all of those things. We see that he's growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, but he's working a job. And he comes on the scene. That's why the religious leaders of that day said, there's no way you're the Messiah. Because the Messiah should come in if the Greeks wanted a philosopher and the Romans wanted some stud of a military soldier. And he came in as a carpenter, working a blue-collar job in a city called Nazareth. 
And they're like, what good comes from Nazareth? And I think, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons for that, but why did God wait that long? I'm not saying it's just to make this point, but I think an implication, a fair one, is to say, how much more could we say that work is dignified than to say Jesus spent 30 years of his life relatively not showing who he is and just working a job? To me, that would sound like a waste unless work is worship. Jesus is working, loving the Father and being who he is until the time is right, the fullness of time to make his earthly ministry to start. He's working a job. And one day when he comes again, we'll work in the new creation. But I don't have time to chase all of that. But I think work is a part of God's creation. But listen, when we do our work well, we are being fully human. So we're reflecting God because God's a worker. He showed us that. He revealed himself to be that. But when we work, we're being fully human. What it means, God designed us to work. So if the Garden of Eden had work in it, he's saying, if for perfection, for full intimacy, the way it's intended, it wouldn't be that without jobs, without a calling. Or he wouldn't have added it. He wouldn't have made Adam and Eve operate in that way if it wasn't true. So when we do our job, it says something um, about um, who we are. And so that means everything, everybody has dignity and worth no matter the job. And it's to be enjoyed. Work isn't something to be avoided. It's something to be enjoyed. Because God's given us that. And when we do that, and I think all of us to a certain degree, you've maybe experienced the fulfillment of making something beautiful or of doing something with your hands or to do a job well done. There's something fulfilling about that, isn't there? Like, because you're made for that. That's who you're supposed to be. But here's the, the last implication for this. We're going to move on. When we do our work well, we are expressions of the work of God. Expressions of the work of God. Now, uh, Martin Luther, if you guys haven't read any Martin Luther, I love me some Martin Luther, reformer, uh, all that. He probably writes more about this uh, than any other theologian, talking about work and stuff. I highly recommend you read some of his stuff. I can give you some of the books if you uh, want them. Um, he takes this verse, I'm going to read it to you this verse, I'm going to tell you what he says, I'm going to read you a quote and uh, explain in length uh, what he says. But he, re- he takes Psalm 147, we have that, Kyle, throw that up there. Psalm 147, 13 says, For he, that's God, strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. And Martin Luther takes that and says, how does God do those things? How does he strengthen the bars of your gates? Meaning, think, think Old Testament, a city with a wall around it. The bars of your gates were kind of your security as a city. So if you're going to flourish as a city, it's God that does that. How does he do it? How does he bless your children within you? How, how does he bless you with the, the finest of wheat? How does God feed you? We believe, we, we pray over our meals, most of us. If we don't, we at least thank God for them, right? We, we acknowledge God is the one feeding me. He's the one providing for me, right? We're, we're tracking. But Luther says, how? Well, listen to this quote. I think it's up there. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does. But listen. He said, it blew my mind when I heard this the first time a couple years ago. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal or served it to us. So God is providing, but he does so through the means of workers. And so Luther says that our jobs, our occupations, again, this sounds kind of weird when you first listen to it, but think about the implications. Our jobs are the masks that God wears in caring for the world. Isn't that a cool thought? 
that God is doing this in the world. But he does so through us, through the jobs that we do. So he would go on, this is my paraphrase of this, how does he strengthen the bars of a city? By city planners, architects, and politicians who pass good laws to perfect the city. How does he bless our children within our midst? Well, through the work of teachers and pediatricians and stay-at-home moms and others. How does he make peace in our borders? By means of good lawyers and policemen and military uh, members. How does he fill us with the finest of wheat? Well, he does so by farmers and factory workers and restaurant owners. And Luther would say the, the little girl who milks the cow, the milkmaid, uh, is being the fingers of God. I know that's kind of poetic and maybe you go, I don't know, that's kind of weird. But I mean, but he, I mean, I know it kind of is, but th- think about what, he, what he's saying. Is that what, if this is true, there is no um, insignificant task. This is true, like every little thing matters. That God is serving um, the world through us. There is no small job. There's no insignificant job. And I think in our culture, we, we want the jobs that are paying well, and high skilled or whatever. But like, I'm going to take an example of somebody. So this, is, this is no way lesser because this is the point of this whole first point of this. But we wouldn't say, I mean, I really aspire to this. There's not too many kids saying, I want to be a maid. We would look at that and kind of, that would be a job that in most cultures, we would say, man, that's, I mean, it, it's a job, but it's not like that job. Right? I mean, we track it. But think about what would happen if no one cleaned. Like, like just let's go far on the spread. We would die. Okay, like not only would it be nasty and disgusting, like we would die. There would be nasty bacteria and all you medical people can help me with how it actually would be a really bad idea. Um, but if we don't clean our house, we die. So whether you clean or somebody else cleans it, like, it's a good thing. So it seems insignificant. Oh, it's not very, no, 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 it matters. That's how God is caring. That's how he's being sovereign over the world is through every task people doing their jobs and doing them well. And again, I've already said it again, but I'll say it, I've already said it before and I'll say it again. This, is, this tells us that pastors, super Christians, that people see it, it's just ridiculous. That there's no, like, sacred-secular divide. There's no two lines um, in heaven. I, I heard um, J.D. Greer say something about this. Like, if you were to go back here, we had some books for sale. And the title of the book was, The One Who Changed the World. We would usually assume that was going to be like a missionary right, or a pastor or a theologian or something, and we should be writing books about them and hearing about them, but we probably wouldn't be thinking about it being an artist, right, or a mechanic or whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank, but if we really believe this, like, what if this matters? Like, what if that could be the way we change the world? It's through little insignificant, seemingly insignificant things, but what if there is no insignificant things? So you say, all right, Derek, that's great, but I don't feel that way when I punch my time clock at all. Like, work isn't fulfilling for me. You say, work's worship, and the very acts of my work, it can be worship. And I have never really experienced that when I'm washing the dishes, right? Or, like, or when I'm working wherever I work. So here's why. So that's God created. It's who he is. It's what he's done. It's the way he's designed it. But then Genesis 3 did happen. So I want us to notice, here's the second point. We have distorted work as self-worship. So work is meant to be God-centered worship. Everything we do is for Him. We're, we're loving Him, praising Him, and actually He's using us through the way we do our jobs. But because of sin, now we've distorted it and we make it about us rather than about Him. 
And maybe that's why it's never fulfilling. Maybe that's why our work's frustrating. Maybe that's why. So read Genesis 3, 17 with me. And to Adam, he said, God said, because you have um, listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So listen, we've taken work as one of the means of the way we have rebelled against God. We've all, looked, we've all done that. We've all rebelled against God, said, God, I don't want to submit to you. I want to have autonomy. I don't want to live life for you. I want my own way. I don't, I'm not satisfied in you. I'm satisfied in me and what I can get. And work is an expression of that. It's not the only expression of it. There's all kinds of other ways our sin shows itself. But work is one of those ways. Work is now something that we've twisted and made it about us. And, and because of that, God says it's cursed. Ground's cursed. You've going to work hard, and it's not going to be fulfilling for you like it was supposed to be. There's going to be glimpses of that, but for the most part, it's going to stink. <laughs> it's cursed. It's not the way you speak because you've chosen to walk away from me. Because you've walked away from me, everything is now broken. So example of this is the Tower of Babel. What happens? They're going to build this huge tower, right? You know why they said that? You guys remember the account of Genesis 11? Why they said they're going to make the Tower of Babel? This is to make a name for who? For ourselves. We're going to build this big old skyscraper to show God how awesome we are. We don't need him anymore. We're going to reach to the heavens. It was to make a name for ourselves. But remember, work was to make a name for God and to worship God. And what we've done in our sin, a result of that, right after the fall, you see people working, using their job, but for them, to advance them. So here's how this expresses itself. I'll go through these very quickly because we talk about stuff like this a lot. But now we're jumping back to Colossians 3. There's two ways this does, how it expresses itself. First is idleness in our work. So it's creative. We're supposed to be doing all this stuff for the Lord, but he gives some warnings of what not to do. Colossians 3.22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. Eye service, if you look it up and you really look at what this means, it's literally the idea of fulfilling your duties as an employee only when your boss is looking. It's that idea. And so I'm, I'm doing just enough to get by. Skirting through. It's idleness. It's laziness. And Proverbs would call this person the sluggard. I love it, the sluggard, sloth. And I love, there's a couple of Proverbs, I was going to read them for a second time, I won't, but it says, um, the, proverb make, the sluggard makes excuses why he doesn't work hard. He says, there's a lion in the street, and I will be eaten. It's like, dude, ain't no lion out there. Like, I can't go to work because a lion's going to eat me. I'm like, really? Come on, man. And the other one says, a sluggard is one who is like a rusty hinge on his bed. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't really know, but I, I love to think that it means this. So like you're sleeping in your bed and you roll over like a rusty hinge. Right? Okay. So like a sluggard is one who like can't get out of bed. He rolls over and just moans. Like I can't move. I don't want to work hard. The Proverbs also said a sluggard is one who puts his hand in the dish and cannot put it back to his mouth. It's like he starts something, but he can't finish it. And it's just really it's kind of a satire of saying it's like this guy that gets so tired reaching for the Doritos that he can't like get it back to his mouth like that's the picture of a sluggard is that we have good intentions we start but we're so lazy that we just don't finish anything we don't work hard we literally just do enough to get by that's an effect of the fall that is not the way God's designed so he's looking at us and hey if work is this big deal to glorify God don't be lazy Get up. Do something. Here's examples of how this could look. 
um, in our lives. We see work as a necessary evil. We just live for the paycheck. Um, laziness, um, we cut corners at our jobs. We don't really work with integrity. We're not really doing everything we know we do. We're just going to do just enough to skirt by. Uh, we don't give our entire selves to the job. and People can see that. Um, here's a, a really convicting thing. God said to work for six days and rest for one. It's a model. But said in our culture, we tend to flop that. <laughs> like, well, we're going to rest for six, you know, and we're going to really put like one day in of work. Like, it's this idea of we're just going to be lazy in, in the way that we're called to do. We live for the weekend. Can't wait for Friday, Saturday, to just check out, not do anything. Again, I don't know. It's not all bad, but I think there's more that we miss. So don't be lazy. Don't be idle in your work. But here's the second uh, warning. Not just Id- idleness in our work, but idolatry of our work. Colossians 3.22b says, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye surface, as people pleasers. So he goes a little deeper. says, you know why you're going to be lazy in your job and not really work hard, and not really do the things that God's called you to do? Because there's an inner motivation that's at the root. People pleasing. People pleasing is literally this idea of living for the applause and the praise of, of people. So I'm going to do what I do now because it's about me. So it's easy for us to see how idleness is self-centered. It's all about me. I don't want to work hard. You know, that's self-centered. But what if working hard can be just as self-centered as not working hard? What if all the things that we do, we're busy about doing, and man, we're diligent, and ain't nobody going to call me no sluggard, right? Like, I'm eating my Doritos kind of thing. Like, I, I'm doing this. That can still be prideful, obviously, but it can still even be self-centered because then you may even look like you're focused on other people, but in all actuality, you're focused on yourself. It's all a means for you. That's how idolatry is. So idolatry is anything that we're looking to to get a significance, approval, identity. So how true is that in our culture? Work can become an idol. Is our source of identity. It's our source of worth, our source of comfort. So here's, I'm just going to read some of these. Um, examples of idolatry in our work, attaching our identity to what we do. I, I'm guilty of this. It's so hard for me to say, you know what? I'm not Derek the pastor. I'm just Derek the child of God. Like, I'm not who, what I do. Like, that's not what defines me. So often we see our jobs and our occupations, either way, positively or negatively, as defining us. And we see busyness as a badge of significance. Like, I want to prove to you that I'm busy. Look how busy I am. Look how important I am. Like, you don't trust the doctor that you go in to see him, and there's no one in his waiting room. You see him playing a board game back there. You're like, I don't know if I want to go to this doctor. Like, but you go in that hospital waiting room, and there's, like, tons of people waiting to see him. He's busy. In your mind, you think, man, he must be significant and important. That's the way we see life, and it's not supposed to be that way. We just get busy, 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 trying to prove ourselves, trying to prove ourselves to other people. We find our worth in what we do. We're overworked. So many of us, because we worship work, instead of using work as worship, is that we sacrifice our health. We refuse to rest. And I'm stepping on my own toes here. That's why I'm sick, I think. My mom is smiling. She knows. So, Derek, you listening? <laughs> so, um, you'll sacrifice your family on the altar of, I got to work. How many times have you seen that? Um, we sacrifice the mission on the sake of getting more, trying hard. Like, I'm not going to, to live this way because I have to work my job. Like, I can't leave that to go do this. And sacrifice the mission because of work is an idol. So work can become a source of comfort and security. Listen, we were meant to find our identity and our satisfaction in God, not the paycheck. 
But work can become a means that we don't have to trust God anymore. We have a paycheck for that. Allows us to trust ourselves rather than Him. Spend our resources on ourselves rather than His glory among the nations. Spend it for us because that's what I do. I work so that I can live a comfortable life. What if that's not the point of work at all? And we see others now, think about it out, outward. We see others as a means of self-advancement. So either people are in my way, so get out of my way. Or I'm going to use people to get what I want. And, and even the context of this, we don't have time to really talk about a lot of this. We're not trying to skirt around it. I'd love to chat more um, about what he's saying about slaves. I mean, the context here is he's talking to slaves and owners of slaves. I mean, so, again, this is not Scripture condoning slavery. But he is saying, no matter even a really terrible circumstance that is not glorifying to God at all, it's less than the human ideal, even in that, there's still an authoritarian structure of that. I'm not going to see people as property. And they're not just a means to my advancement. That is so um, convicting. Like, why do you do what you do at your job? Has it become a sense of worth for you and the, what it gains you, or reputation, or whatever. But here, here's the last point. Oh, man, okay. Last point. Jesus' work redeems our work for God-centered mission. So what Jesus has done is he comes, lives a life we couldn't live, dies in our place, and he rises again. He worked for us. So now we can rest. Like, we don't have to strive and to do all of this stuff to earn his favor. Like, he has done it for us in our place. So come to him if you're weary. You'll find rest. You can work in a different way. So listen, remember we read in Genesis 3 about the curse of the ground, the thorns and all that stuff? Well, Jesus wore the crown of thorns. Jesus is reversing the curse of sin. To say, all this stuff we've been talking about can be remedied. It has been remedied. He's done that. He was insignificant and was cast out on the cross. So that we don't have to be cast out, but we can be accepted by God. And it's just true. He paid our wages so that we don't have to earn our salvation. That is the gospel. It's the beautiful part of the gospel. So now, listen, Jesus' work secures our satisfaction and our significance. I'll say these really quickly because we don't have time, but just listen to these. In, in contrast to what we just said about idleness and idolatry, listen, what Jesus has done, work is no longer pointless. Because Christ has invited us to join him in his work in the world through our work. So yeah, our work matters, but what if there's a greater, glorious, global thing that God's doing that he invites to say, what if you can use your job as a means to enjoy me and for others to enjoy me? So it's no longer pointless. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, everything is meaningless. Everything under the sun has no value whatsoever. And in some ways we feel that, right? Like, Man, I'm working, I'm toiling, I'm striving, it's just all pointless. Why am I doing this? I'm just working for the man. But what Jesus is inviting us into is, like, listen, what if there's a bigger purpose than what's under the sun? What if he's invited us into a reality that's above the sun, and there is a meaninglessness to life, but there's a purpose to life because there's Jesus. But then work is no longer our object of worship because Christ has become everything we need. I don't have to find my worth and my significance and my comfort and my approval in my job, or what I benefit from my job, or the money, or the, the need to be needed, or the people's praise. Like, I have everything I need already in Jesus. It's what he secured for me. So this changes everything. So, oh man, really, really quickly. Verse 22 of Colossians 3. Obey in everything. 
That means no matter how bad you hate your job, just do it well for the glory of God. Do it unto his praise. He's talking to slaves here, submitting to their taskmaster, and he's saying, obey them in everything. No task too insignificant, and do it. Even in a terrible circumstance, show grace, trust his authority by submitting to him and doing it well. But then, let work be an opportunity to love and serve others. Verse 22 of Colossians 3, bondservants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. This means your whole self to be open and honest. You're, you're literally loving your neighbor as yourself. Like you're giving your whole self. See people with dignity and worth and display the love of Christ in tangible ways. Like what if all this stuff that we hate about our jobs, what if there's just a way to serve people? Like that's a good thing. That's not lesser. That's awesome. Let work be done as an opportunity to serve others, but let work be done as an opportunity to display the character of Christ. He says, whatever you do, verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily, literally with all your heart, with everything you have, with joy, work. Work heartily. So I won't read it for a second time, but Philippians 2 says, do everything you can do without grumbling. And he says, if you do that, you will shine like lights in the midst of a crooked, dark generation. That's just one example. Like, what would it look like to do our work without grumbling? You're going to stick out, <laughs> right? You're going to stick out in our culture. That shows the character of Christ. So let the way that we are, people can trust us, and we're a people of integrity, and we work hard, and they know that we're going to be honest, and we're going to be open, and we go the extra mile, and we're just good. We're the best at what we do. We're good artists. We're good businessmen. We're good engineers. We're good accountants. We do it well. To show how good he is. But then, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Meaning, live for something bigger than the paycheck. He says, I'll sacrifice now. I'll die to myself now. I'll work in this meaningless job now because I know I'm getting an inheritance one day. All the wrongdoing is going to be judged, and I will get a reward for how I live my life for the glory of God. Not for God's love because he loves me. He sees it. And one day I will sacrifice now because one day I'm going to heaven. This isn't all that it is. So my job is just a means to get to that day. And then verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. You have a bigger boss than your employer. Live for something bigger than a paycheck, but live for something bigger than just even your employer. As you are submitting to your employer, you are submitting to Christ, and you're doing it for him. And that is beautiful and good. And that word serving is the same word for slave that's used in verse 22 of bondservant. You're a slave, but now you are now a slave to Christ. You're a slave to righteousness. So listen, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So listen, this is the way we close. I, had, I wanted to spend so much more time on the end here. Um, but just hang with me for a few more minutes, okay? Um, if that is true, if I exist for Jesus, I'm now a slave of Jesus, and he's put me where he's put me for a purpose. And the task that I do matters, and I've got to repent of all this way that I've messed up my work. But now, because of Christ, I have everything I need to now selflessly serve others, to submit to authority well, to do my job well for the glory of God, to show what a true character looks like in all areas of life, the way I respond and the way I deal with discipline, all these things. But listen, it's even bigger than just that. Because the Spirit wants the nations for Christ. He's drawing people to himself. And all of those things are true. But I told you I was going to get to it at the end. 
but the place that God has placed you right now, maybe that's not going to be your job forever, but it's your mission field. And I say, I, I know that. No, no, no. Think about it. These are souls for whom Christ died that if they do not repent of their sin and put faith in Christ, they will suffer for eternity apart from Him. And the people in our workplaces, we say, man, I'm, I'm loving the unreached here. And we go, no, no, no. The people in your workplaces are not unreached, even if you live and work in a really, really dark environment. You know why they're not unreached? It's because He's put you there. You're there to go take the gospel. So as you are doing your job well and enjoying Jesus, doing all these things we talked about, what would it look like to be strategic? <laughs> so J.D. Greer says all the time, I love it, I've stolen it a lot. Do what you do well for the glory of God. That's basically the whole sermon. But do it strategically, and somewhere strategically, for the glory of God. And for the mission of God. So how are you doing with loving the people in your workplace, not just to love them with all these acts of service, and that's a foundation. But listen, we can do all of that, and they still are lost without Jesus. So we must articulate the gospel, tell them about the good news. And when they ask, why are you so different? You give a reason for the hope that is within you. And you build relationships, invite people over to your house. You say, well, I can't share my go- gospel at my workplace, but you can build relationships with the people in your job. You can be very bold to ask to answer Jesus when they ask you why you do what you do or why you are the way that you are. You can weave gospel threads in everyday conversations. So don't talk like an atheist. Talk like you believe in Jesus. Talk about the character of God and the sinfulness of man and the sufficiency of Christ and the necessity of faith in your everyday conversations. Like bring it up in the conversations because we're there as ambassadors. He wants those people to know Jesus, and he's placed you there, and you live your life that way. So do your work well, but do it strategically for the mission. But listen, some of us, all of us, we all have to think this way. Yes, it's local, but if you lay a map down of of our world, and you look at the hardest-to-reach places, the darkest places in evangelicalism, like the places where people will live, and they will die, and the chances are they will never meet a Christian, Never hear the name of Jesus before they are going to hell with no hope. Like the places in, in the world where that, the unreached engagement, they call it the 1040 window. The places that that's the case. And you lay a map of world poverty over it or the needs there over it. It's almost identical. Meaning, the, the places that are the hardest to reach. These, we talk about going to the unreached. The Great Commission is explicit to go to every ethnic, every people group. You say, well, how are we going to get to the thousands of people groups who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. It's different than here, guys. Like it's, it's different. Like Yes, tomorrow morning, well, most of us aren't working tomorrow, next day, um, is a mission field. Like you do, I, I love, Joel says it all the time, we are going on a mission trip every day. Isn't that awesome? Like when you go to your job, you're going on a mission trip. It's beautiful and right and good. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. But those people are there, like they Hear the gospel because you're there. There are people who go to work and there's nobody going on a mission trip there. Like, no access. They can't turn on the radio and hear a gospel message. They can't go to Lifeway and pick up a book. Like, there's no access to the gospel. And those places are the places where they need the most help in business, agriculture, all the things that we're getting our tasks to do. So what if reaching the unreached, like, listen, I can't get to most of those places with my seminary degree and as a pastor. They're not just going to let you go in and plant churches. But you can go in 
and the nations will fund reaching the nations because we can get jobs there and use our jobs. Like what if God's given you the skills that he's given you? Not just to make a name for yourself and not just even to be mission on here. That's beautiful. How can you leverage your skills for the global glory of God? Like we want to be about both. We want to love our city, but we are laser sharp focused to the nations, the people who have no access. And what if, to be serious about reaching them, you don't have to leave and go to seminary. What if you could use your job to do that? I mean, they're begging for us to, to, to go. I mean, that just changes everything. So listen, here's the question. Have you ever asked the question, God, do you want me to live in America? Like, have you ever asked that question? Like, why are you here and not there among the unreached? We just assume that we're here unless God just gives us some Damascus Road experience, then we'll go. But like, what if we would just say, God, I'm surrendered. I'll go. And maybe for my life, or maybe we'll spend our lives in short-term and midterm trips. We don't have to necessarily be moving there. We ought to be engaged in this. Not everybody's called to go, but everybody is called to care about the Great Commission and all nations. Like, how can you use, yeah, the word and, like, just be a good evangelist and be equipped in that? These things aren't separate. But to use your job to see the glory of Jesus experience there so how can you leverage your skills for the glory of god among unreached peoples among the nations if you don't know let's talk oh man i would love to talk to you about that short term midterm long term i would love maybe it doesn't mean you get, well i'm not a teacher so i can't go well, we need engineers teachers doctors you know, i want to ask us the question again and I, I promise i'm done why did you make the decision to work where you work why couldn't you work in a different cultural context will you surrender your life for the global glory of God. You say, Derek, I mean, really, if I really love Jesus, do I have to go to the nations? We all have to care. We have to be involved. Not everybody's going to leave America. That's not what I'm saying. Like, it's not lesser. Like, but I think so many of us aren't even asking the question. So I'm asking, like, would you say, God, my life is not my own? And maybe that's even a good way for us um, to close. So if you'll bow your head with me. I want us to do this. Um, this is really... Um, could be potentially awkward um, but i want us to do something with every uh, eyes closed and if you're willing to do this and if you're here and you're an unbeliever and you don't want to do this it's okay but i want you to take your hands out in front of you and i never do anything like this okay and just spread them out palms up open-handed and, and would you be so bold and i'll say think everything in my life my career my occupation my possessions everything that i have and I just want you to imagine that in your hands and then just tighten your fist around it. So just imagine your life and I'm holding on to it because it's a good thing. It's precious. It's right. It's beautiful. Now, I want you to picture Jesus coming up to you right now and saying, because he is through his word, by the power of his spirit. Not because I'm saying it, but because it's the authority of the scriptures. And would say, would you be willing to let go? Would you be willing to just release your hands and say, God, everything that I am, what my skills, my dreams, my security, my comfort, like it's not mine, it's yours. And if you'd be willing to just do that as an act of faith, maybe you say, I don't even know if I can do that, but just say, God, as I open up my hands now, I'm symbolically saying, God, it's yours. And if you're willing to do that, just open your hands up as, a, as just a testimony to the surrender that we have to Jesus. And we ask these questions, like, God, I want to like follow you in my nine to five, like in my job, and as I'm raising my kids, and everything matters because it's about your glory and it's not about me so i submit i surrender what i've made it about myself i choose to lose my life and find it in you 
there's nothing more relevant than to say it's our occupations, our jobs, what we do, our identity. And so as we sing the song, may it be a prayer to say, I'm willing to leverage my life for the global glory of God. Like, I want to do that here. I want to see the people in my life. I want to love them well. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that, what it means to live with outsiders, to live with people who don't know Christ. Um, but, so I want to see my job as a mission field. I want to see people know Christ. I want to do my job well to show the glory of Jesus and what I do. And I, but I see it as something bigger than that. It's a mission field. I want to engage in that. And we, may we all repent and say, I don't even know if I've even thought about how to use my passions for the unreached, for the nations. So God, I'm willing. Like, I don't even know if I'm willing, but make me willing. I want to trust you. Like, that's a good thing if you were to call my family to leave. It's a good thing. Call my family to plant churches or to be a part of a church planting team or to use my job in a strategic city around the world. Like, I'm willing. Maybe you won't call you to go, but are we willing? So we're going to sing this song, uh, My Life is an Offering, and I pray that it is true. So we can just remain seated, um, and let's sing this song out uh, together.